Hey guys, this is Tony with The Crucial Conversation. I'm here to talk to you about our sponsors before we get into an incredible episode. Our first sponsor I want to talk to you about is Sheila Texter. She has an incredible book that's out right now about new beginnings. Just because you've made mistakes in your life does not mean that your calling that God has placed in your life is over. If you go to Amazon.com and you look up her book, Life After the Mistake, you're going to be blessed. You don't have to live in pain in your past. You don't have to worry about any of that anymore. She helps you navigate through all the hard times, and she teaches you how she got it through, and she will truly bless you in that book. Go to Amazon.com, type in Life After the Mistake, Sheila Texter. We're also brought to you by the Drifted Drum Company and Dr. April Jones. This company and this person is the real deal. It doesn't matter if you're wanting to grow, if you're wanting to start, if you're wanting to develop a burden, a passion, anything. You go to the driftedrumcompany.com, follow them on social media, go to their website. Anything you're looking to do to bloom, to blossom in Christ, she is here to help you. Christmas time is upon us. We all know that. If you're looking for some great gift ideas, go on there and look at some of her merch. Go on there and grow with her devotionals, her journals, her book. Go on there and look up thedrifteddrumcompany.com. We're even going to give you a promo code of CRUCIAL2020 to get you 20% off your entire purchase. Guys, that is legit. CRUCIAL2020. Get 20% off your entire purchase. Our last sponsor I'm going to present to you is Anderson Heat and Air. We go to church with the owner of this company, and he is a genuine, honest guy. It doesn't matter if you're looking for a new home install, if you're wanting to upgrade what's in your current home, or you're looking at buying a home and you just want to see how much it's going to cost. Get a hold of our friend, Nathaniel Anderson. You can reach him at 870-664-1967. If you're just looking for somebody to give you an honest day's work, and you don't want to pay out your pocket as much as possible, give this man a call. It's 870-664-1967. Now we're going to be bringing to you one of the most crucial podcasts that we've had this entire year. We're going to be talking with Tara Sanders, married now, Whittingham, but everybody knows her as Tara Sanders. They know her family. They know her parents. It's such a legacy that they've lived. Tara is very open, very honest in this uncut, unedited podcast. I know this is going to bless you. I know it's going to be powerful. Guys, sit back and enjoy this incredible episode with Terry Sanders. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Every time things aren't coming together on this podcast, it's always the episodes that's the most transformative and the most encouraging. When we look back at our top ten, it's always the episodes we either had the most problems getting recorded or are the quote-unquote controversial episodes. And it seems like this one has the potential of maybe being a little bit of both. We have had to restart this exact episode. This is our fourth time trying to get this thing recorded, and and Tony's exhausted, Tara's exhausted, but she has a story to tell that she's been telling all night. Well, this is the finally this one will be recorded. Tara Sanders Whittingham, thank you for being patient with us and recording with us, and as we have done several times tonight, and we will do again. Give us a little bit of background on where you're from. 
And a little bit of background on, of course, um, the, the, set up the, the context of the conversation we're going to have tonight about um, the, the things that you've overcome. Okay, well, thank you, Tony and Brian, for having me on the Crucial Conversation. I'm a big fan. Um, I think I've listened to all of the episodes um, so far. What's so, your favorite? Um, Which is your favorite? I have to give a shout out to my friend Farrah Easter. She's she's always going to be my favorite. I love that girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's ministered to me on a personal level throughout um, the last five years as I went through my divorce. Um, but her episode was awesome. Um, but I love so many of them. But I like I like your women on here. Um, Sister Stacy Gaddy was a favorite too, um, and uh, Sister Jelaine Lumpkin. That was great. So, yeah, the, um, it seems like our women podcasts always have the most listens. I don't know why that is. <laughs> I guess they they impart way more wisdom than the men. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're I'm a big fan. Um, me and my mom. Uh, that's something we shared in common was we are big time podcast junkies. So, um, like if I'm in the car. I listen to music if my girls are in the car with me, but if it's just me, I'm going to be listening to a podcast every time. So, um, yeah, so thanks for having me. Um, so um, a little bit of my background is I grew up um, in a pastor's home. I have my dad's been a pastor since I think I was about two um, years old, um, two or three uh, he started pastoring in 1990 in um, Chicago, Illinois. Um, Go Cubs! And go. Yes, yes. Um, we're big Cubs fans around here. It's funny. I um, got married a couple weeks ago, and um, my girls asked Eric, my husband, um, just the other day. They said, "Now, who who is your favorite baseball team?" And uh, he automatically he said the Chicago Cubs well of course they're 11 and 12 they know he probably doesn't know much about the Chicago Cubs like we do (laughs) um so they they said is it really and he was like yeah he knows he can't be married to me without being a Cubs fan so anyway he is being converted as we speak to rooting for the Cubs so So yeah as Um, as one who's converted a person to being a Cubs fan uh, I just mm-hmm. have I have one word of advice. When you take them to Wrigley for the very first time, <laughs> please ask them not to say as loud as Meredith did. What's the deal with the Billy Goat and who was Steve Bartman? <laughs> and I would say at least three sections around us and six rows in front and behind us turned around and glared at us. They all gasped. Yes. Um, that's hilarious. I have no... What you're talking? About. <laughs> yeah, we we have we don't care if you know we know. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, um, but anyway, so I grew up. We actually grew up. Um, my dad pastored a church actually about a mile from Wrigley Field, so that's cool. Um, so yeah, we grew up going to Cubs games and um, living in the inner city of Chicago. Um, so he pastored there until we were. Until 1997, so I was probably about nine at that point. Um, He just felt God was leading him elsewhere. Um, So he resigned that pastorate. He, uh, 
I think traveled for a couple months preaching out. Um, and then, uh, God opened the door, um, in Newport, Arkansas and he took his second pastorate, um, there. I got to stop and, you right there. I got to stop uh-huh. you right there on that. So you go from Chicago, which is like the third or fourth <laughs> largest city yeah. in the United <laughs> States to Newport, Arkansas, that I don't even think people in Chicago know it exists. <laughs> Nobody knows. Here's the thing. If you're, going to Newport, if you're going to Newport to pastor, you are following God's voice. Yes, the only, definitely. The only reason why you go to Newport is because you got to go to Newport because you, you don't just happen by that place. Yeah, I know. Uh, Tony, so, Tony, I, Tony and I both worked there for years. I worked there for, I think, five years, and Tony mm-hmm. uh, worked for a FedEx track in, in Newport. So I know the whole town. I know just where the church is in Newport. Um, I, I got to ask you, what is it like going from Chicago, a city of uh, millions of people, to Newport with a population of 2,500? <laughs> um, actually, I think Newport had around 5,000. I will correct you there. Um, but <laughs> for me, for me, it was not, I mean, it was a culture shock, obviously. Like, we, we grew up, like, in inner city Chicago, so we didn't have a yard, you know? Like, if we wanted to go play, like, we had to, like, drive to the park. Like, you didn't just go in the backyard. So, like, things like that were like, wow, we have grass, like, in our yard. That's cool. Um, But for me, I was nine years old. It wasn't as big of a culture shock Um, at that age. You're pretty. Kids are very resilient. Um, So you're you're just like, oh, this is an adventure. This is cool. New people, whatever. Um, I'm an extrovert, so it was no problem for me. Now, um, not all of my siblings can say that. Um, my oldest brother, Jonathan, who you both uh, know, uh, he had a harder time adjusting, I think, which is probably why he pastors in all large cities in America, <laughs> in all of his pastorates so far. Um but he he was 15, so obviously that age is a harder age to move and adjust to a whole different culture. So um, anyway, it was, but it was, my parents always made everything in ministry a great adventure for us. So it was not, there might have been some resentment in certain areas, but it was, it was just, we were happy and our parents were anywhere that they were serving God, they chose to figure out a way to be happy. It didn't matter if we were in little small town, Arkansas or massive Chicago, Illinois. Um, so yeah. So anyway, we moved there. We were there. Um, I grew up there. That's why I kind of say I'm from Arkansas when people ask me where I'm from. Um, I, I remember Chicago, but, like, to me, like, all of my formative years were in Arkansas. Um, I grew up in the Arkansas district, going to all the camps and events. Um, I think it's the greatest district in the world. I'm glad to be back. (laughs) Um, But, anyway, so we were there. Um, I lived there all all the way through high school, um, graduated from Newport High School, go Greyhounds. Um, I uh, then went on to college at uh, Arkansas State in Jonesboro, 
um, and actually started attending, um, at, at the time it was Calvary, but it's POJ, you guys' church, great church. Um, and um, I started dating my um, first husband, um, and uh, we ended up getting married in 2007. Um, and uh, things were great. I was I was 19. Um, when I got married, I thought I knew everything, um, like most 19-year-olds do. Um, I thought marriage is going to be great, um, and we're going to raise a family. We're in the ministry. Um, basically, I thought I was going to have a life like I had watched my parents have, and I wanted that. Um, but anyway, I guess I, so I wanted that. And I think at one point, my ex-husband wanted that also. Um, So to the uh, outside, it looked like we had things together. Um, We had a beautiful family. We we immediately started having babies. We have two daughters, um, Emma's 12, Sadie's 11. And um, life was great. And I even felt like life was great. Um, But... And there was a lot of things that I think I looked past in marriage that probably weren't okay, but I thought, I I think I was, I was too embarrassed and too worried about what people would think of me to ask for help in our marriage. Um, And it wasn't like anything big at that point. It was just small things that I think somebody could have helped us with, but we were probably too proud, um, to ask for help. So, um, anyway, uh, fast forward, uh, to 2015, we had been married eight years, um, and my life fell apart and, um, we had been, uh, well actually back up a little bit. We were actually youth pastors, um, at your current church for a few years while our girls were little. Um, then my dad actually took, he had, he evangelized for five years, um, after he left Newport. And then he took a church in Orangefield, Texas, which if you think Newport's small, go to Orangefield. They have one stop in a high school, basically. So in several churches, which is Texas all through and through, because there's like a church on every corner everywhere down there. Um, so, so it's like Jonesboro, just smaller than. Exactly. Except there's not as many banks. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so they took a church there. Um, so we um, had visited them um, the year before we moved down there. We loved it. Um, my dad needed help in the church, and it was just kind of the perfect opportunity. Our, we were going to be with family. Um, I had never really lived close to my mom and dad since I had been married because they were always traveling. So it was just really a win-win for everybody. So we moved down and, um, we loved it. We fell in love with Texas and, um, the church and the area. Um, and 
Um, things seem to be going as they should seem to be going good. Um, my then husband had a really good job and, um, you know, things were good. I was able to stay home with my girls, um, and raise them. And it was, it was just what I would consider a really great life. Um, we were working in ministry, um, doing what we had dreamed of doing. Um, and then in 2015, uh, April of 2015, um, my life fell apart. <laughs> um, I and I don't say a lot about my um, ex-husband. His story is his to tell. Our children's story is theirs to tell. So I, I'll never claim to say anything horrible about them or anything like that. Um, but there was some, um, situations in our marriage that, um, a lot of people say it takes two for a marriage, um, to work. And I, I have to agree with that. Um, it does, it takes two to make a marriage work, but it only takes one person to destroy a marriage. Um, so basically my marriage was destroyed, um, you know, there's always things you look back on that you could have done in your marriage, but there are certain choices that people make in your, that other, your spouse makes in your marriage that are no fault of your own. And, um, so my marriage fell apart. There was, you know, unfaithfulness and, um, it completely devastated me. And I, um, was very determined at that point, we're going to get help. We're going to be the exception. Divorce is not an option. Um, divorce was never an option in my opinion. And so, um, you know, we got the help of a wonderful apostolic, um, counselor. Um, she was incredible. We went, we did six months of intensive counseling, um, and there was times in the six months we thought there would be a turnaround and things would were getting better. Um, and then September of 2015, um, my husband uh, chose to leave our family um, and walked out on me and my girls. Um, and it was at that point, it was really devastating. But I had already been devastated so much worse six months earlier that it was almost a relief to me um, that I could just move on and pick up the pieces and take my kids and move move forward. Um, so anyway, but we, you know, like I had said, I my husband had a good job. I only had a part-time job at this point that I had just, like, gotten to basically because I was bored and my youngest child had went to kindergarten. So I wanted something to do. Um, so I had went to Chick-fil-A and got a job and it was just like part-time. It was just, honestly, it was going to be like a six month thing to give me extra Christmas money and then be done. Like I wasn't gonna like, I had no desire to work in the, um, quick service food industry, you know, like that was never a thing for me. And I was just trying to get the guts to go back to college because I had dropped out of college when I started having kids and everything. 
So you basically just started your whole life over. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, did you, I, did you end up managing that Chick Fil A? I actually still work for them. Um, I I actually worked my way up and became executive director of that Chick Fil A. Executive um, director. And Melissa, yeah, M- Melissa just now walked in the room and I told her because she said something to me before about you and Chick Fil A, and she uh-huh. wanted to know if you were a manager or, or what it is that because I guess she saw on Facebook some stuff about Chick Fil A. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I don't, what are you thinking? No, no, it's supposed to be my pleasure. What? Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> See, yeah. I haven't, I haven't been Every... working in the store, like, currently. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but it still never leaves because my girls, like, they'll say thank you to me and I'll be like, my pleasure. And they're like, mom, you're not at work. Like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, I get, I get made fun of for my love of Chick-fil-A, but, um, basically... Tony, what do you think about Chick-fil-A? I think it's like maybe number six in chicken sandwiches. That's I saw both of your um, competition between the Popeyes and the Chick-fil-A sandwich. That's but not really a competition, in, though. Well, you know, you know, I tried that Popeye sandwich. I went through the drive-thru like ten times before they finally had one available. And I tried it. It's a good sandwich. Like, don't get me wrong. I am a Popeyes lover. Like, I really think the only time. I really think the only chicken sandwich that's worse than a Chick Fil A chicken sandwich is like the Subway chicken sandwich that they have at Burger King. Okay, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go to the next subject. I can't. I can't continue this conversation. No, that is so long. Okay, listen. I know. I know. I said originally that it was the Popeyes. I recant. I, I'm Thank going to you. Oh, I need to find another co-host then. Well, well, see, the thing is, is I had so much Popeyes with you, Tony, that I'm so burnt out on it. There's nothing that sounds worse to me than a chick- Popeyes chicken sandwich. <laughs> and Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich yes. is always on point. I, I don't get the original. Always. I never get the original. No, no, no. That's a waste of time. Go for the spicy. Maybe if you don't like the spicy, you need... Yeah, if you're dating a guy and he doesn't like the spicy sandwich, dump him. He's not a man. <laughs> I mean, move on. But I would have to agree with you. Um, yeah, thanks Lord. for being in my corner, Brian. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm actually on your side right now because I'm so burnt out. In fact, it I would is, love to have a plastic chicken sandwich right now. It's all right. I mean, the rest of the world's on my side. But go ahead and finish your story. <laughs> yeah, okay. hey, before we get, we get too far past, uh, you know, that uh-huh. we kind of went kind of in a lighter note. Uh, let me ask you this. So you were in ministry um, for a short time. You guys were actually my youth pastors, uh, uh-huh. you and your first husband, because I had just moved to the church just before yeah. y'all moved to, I think, Lake City before moving to Texas. Yes, and, we did. Uh, we were so, there for, I think, about six months for like a transition time. Right. Yeah. So I, I just vaguely, in fact, I think I was even, I was just there long enough to like give, be given like a graduation Card from y'all or something like a congratulations on graduating, but uh-huh. anyway, um, so you were in ministry, you pastors, you went to go assist your dad. Uh, you've always grown up in ministry. Here you are now, getting a divorce. Do you think all of that is over? Mm-hmm. As far as your ability to be a minister in any capacity? Yeah, I um, you. I felt like I remember going to my mom and dad's house that September 30th, um, 
And I remember walking in and they knew something was wrong and they could already, they had already been able to feel, you know, in their spirits that things were not, I mean, they already knew everything that had happened, obviously, but um, they, they could feel that things were not working out as we hoped that they would with counseling and everything. Um, so I walked in and let them know that, um, he had chosen to leave us. And, um, I remember just looking at my dad, I, tears rolling down my face and it was just, I just told him, I felt like everything that I had believed that was true about my life, about my ministry, about, it had all just been completely stripped away. Um, and it was just this horrible, just this feeling, even though I was relieved that I didn't have to fight for a marriage that wasn't honestly ever going to go anywhere um, after the things that had been done, um, I just, I still felt so lost because I had put kind of my whole identity in being in ministry with my husband. and. I had not, I mean, I knew who I was and I was confident in who I was, but like, since I was 19, I had been married. So we had been a couple. And so it was like, you're 28 years old and you're like, whoa, like, I don't know how to be just me. You know, I don't know how to go to church, just me and my kids. Like, it's not... It's not fun. I can tell you that much. Um, so, yeah, I just felt like everything that I had worked for or strived for was done. And I honestly felt very empty at that point. And um, it was, since we're on the subject, it was really hard for me because um, we had worked in my mom and dad's church. Um. So it was really, really hard for me to go back and sit on the pew at my dad's church as a saint because um, for that time, for probably about six to eight months, I, that's what I did. I just sat. Um, it wasn't like I didn't have to, but it was just I didn't want to do anything. I honestly didn't want to be at church. But I was doing it. I knew my girls needed that stability. They needed, they had always basically, since they were two and three, went to Poppy's church. So that's all they knew. And I knew they needed to go to Mimi and Poppy's church, you know. So for the next year, probably, I would go to church. Um, I didn't feel anything. I went through the motions and that was probably the first time in my life I had ever really done that go through the motions thing that we hear so often, you know, people are just going through the motions. Um, I had never done that. Um, I had always felt close to God and for that year I just felt lost and, um, I felt like I had nothing to offer. Um, that everything had been just totally ripped away. Um, and I remember, and I had a lot of bitterness and I had so many things I needed to forgive and it was just so hard. And I, one day I sat down and talked to my dad and my dad, he was, 
to me, my dad's just the best pastor in the world. And he, he would call me into his office. I was his daughter, but he would call me in his office. And if he didn't think things were like going well or whatever, he would, he would help straighten me out, you know? And, um, and it was always in a loving Jeff Sanders way because that's just who he was. He loved people. Um, and he loved me and our, my daughters. Um, and he wasn't willing to lose a kid over something that somebody else did. Um, so he, he did everything he could to pour into my life in that year. And, um, anyway, I, uh, remember asking him, how do I forgive? Because he told, he was talking to me about forgiveness and I, it was just, like, how do you forgive this? Like, I'm watching two little girls whose lives have been completely destroyed. Um, these were, like, in our home, we didn't fight in front of our girls. Or they they had, like, this life that, you know, kids from divorced homes dream of. And so we didn't like, we weren't like yellers and fighters in front of our kids. So they had no idea that things were not going well, you know? And so when one day we come in and sit down and tell them we're getting a divorce, it was like just an explosion in their lives because they had no idea. Um, that, I mean, they were still little, they were six and seven. Um, so anyway, it was, uh, sorry, I've been kind of all over the place with this story, but, um, it was just, I was looking at that and I'm like, how can I forgive somebody who chose to walk out on these two little girls? How can I forgive like what's been done to them? It wasn't necessarily me. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was hurt and I was, but there was, th those were things I was working through. It was my kids because the mom, any mom can know, like, you don't mess with their kids. Like, that's just not, like, that's not something I'm willing to accept. And I was, it, it came to the point over the next couple of years where you're literally, I was literally fighting for the souls of my kids because, their dad had chosen a totally different lifestyle than what we had, you know, dedicated them to the Lord and vowed to raise them as. Um, so it was a lot of people say, and this is probably, you said earlier, this might be controversial and this probably is a controversial thing that I'm about to say, but a lot of people say like, Oh, you should just co-parent and just like, overlook stuff for the sake of the kids and like but there are when you're co-parenting in the church when one of the other spouses doesn't live or agree the way that you chose to raise your family it kind of doesn't exist and it's as much as we would like for it to be peaceful and I want that for my kids it's so hard to like agree like for them to go do certain things or like you you are literally fighting for the souls of your kids and um I remember I had this horrible dream about that time and 
I, I don't remember a lot of my dreams. So I feel like when I do remember my dreams, it's a lot of times a God-given dream. And I had a dream and it was, it was just a really horrible dream that um, my oldest daughter had um, been killed in a car wreck. And I don't want to say it real loud because she's in the next room. But it, it just shook me to my core. And I just, I told my mom about it and I said, I can't even like get over this dream. It's just so real to me. And later on, she told me she had been praying about it. And she said, I believe that that's not like a literal thing that would happen, but it's in the spiritual world, you are fighting for her soul. And you, and she, I mean, she told me, she's like, Carrie, you can't give up because you cannot lose those babies and so that's that's kind of at that point it was probably 2017 when that happened I've been going through this uh, this so much I've been through custody battles all kinds of stuff um and it was very much at that point that even though I had never given up and I had continued to be faithful and whatever it was like right then and there I was like you know what like I'm fighting for these babies and not not just in the physical world but in the spiritual world like I'm fighting for these girls because they are not going to be a statistic they're not going to be like these kids who world was ripped apart by divorce and who grow up to have all these problems I refuse and I don't believe that's God's will for their lives so um and I had a really great friend tell me um and you guys can interrupt me with questions or whatever whenever if you want to like <laughs> I'm just talking oh, but no, you're, I you're fine I definitely want to um talk about later in the episode so Brian or uh Tara, either one, remind me about you. You're talking about how when you brought up to your daughters that you were getting divorced, um, there's a question that's in the future because I know a little bit of your story I want to ask. But um, mm -hmm. how how did they take that? Yeah, do you want me to talk about that now? or? Yeah, go go ahead and talk about that now because my second question is, it's, we're not to your Second part of that question, we're not quite to that part in your story yet, but go ahead and tell us okay. how they how they kind of handled that because, you know, your children have went through so much in their short period of life, you know, just a short span in their life, and, um, you know, I, I couldn't imagine trying to parent that, um, having a daughter of my own now. You said earlier that nobody messes with a mama's babies. I'm gonna tell you right mm -hmm. now. If somebody messes with my daughter, <laughs> I'm going to prison. I mean, I don't right. care. I yeah. wel I welcome it. But <laughs> anyway, how how did your kids handle that? Yeah. So they um it it was devastating. You know when you um and we kind of went through kind of a similar thing this year when I I had to tell them my mom and dad had died. Well, that's um, exactly what I was gonna talk about. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Getting ahead of myself, but. Um, it was, it was devastating and they, um, and, and like I said, they're getting older, so I don't just say a ton of personal things, but they were little at the time they were six and seven. And, um, like I said, they had never known mom and dad to like fight and like have problems. And, and I had always told them, 
um, like they would come home, you know, like little kids do in kindergarten and first grade, like, oh, so-and-so's mom and dad are divorced or they are getting a divorce. Like, and they're like sad for their friend. And it's just like my parents would always tell me, like divorce isn't an option. Like that's never going to happen in our family. So you, they, like you kind of condition them to, like think like something like that is never going to happen to us. Like we have this great family and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because like, I don't think you should like tell your kids, Oh, we could always get a divorce. Like, no, not at all. Like I, I think you should like make sure they feel secure in their family. But I think that, um, by me saying all of that, it just kind of, I remember Sadie, she, she just sobbed and sobbed and she said, but you promised me we would ne- you would never get a divorce. And it was just this horrible feeling like I broke this promise to my child, you know. And um, so uh, we told them, and it, it was a lot of crying, um, but immediately after we told them, I loaded my girls up in the car and, um, we went to my mom and dad's house and, um, my mom and dad's house has always been a safe haven for my girls. Um, they, uh, that, that's the day we started living with my mom and dad as well. Uh, and we lived with them for the past five years. We had actually just moved out of their house this past June, uh, about a month before they both passed away. Um, or a month and a half, I guess. Um, so anyway, just going to Mimi and Poppy's was just a healing thing for them. And, um, my mom and dad, like, I just, we were given such a gift to actually live with them for the last five years of their lives. And just literally, I look at it as, wow, like, it's God just smiled on us and like he knew what was going to happen and yeah he can he can stop anything but sometimes he chooses not to and I have questions like you do Tony like I I have so many questions like why would this happen but I also can look at those times and think like wow like God orchestrated that where my kids could heal at my mom and dad's house for five years and be well-adjusted little girls in Mimi and Poppy's house so um that's kind of how we um dealt with divorce with my girls um I remember a really good friend of mine at the time in 2015 I was just so upset and I was saying, you know, I'm, I don't know, like, how is this going to affect my kid's life? Like, I can't even imagine because my parents have been married 35 years at this point, you know? And, um, I remember she told me, she said, Tara, she said, you need to look at it like this. She said, your little girls now, they are going to go to school. And they don't, they're not different anymore. They're like everybody else um, because the majority of their friends are divorced from divorced homes. And I just looked at her and I was like, how is that good? Like, that's not even like. Who said that to you? A really good friend of mine. Jeez. And it was, it was actually a pastor's wife. And I was like, and at the time I was like, I, I just looked at her and I was like, that's not even. 
And she said, yeah, but she said, just think of the opportunity you're giving those girls to be Jesus to those kids who don't feel the peace that those little girls feel every day when they go home. Okay, I'm glad you and, clarified what she was meaning yeah. by that. Because I was like, <laughs> yeah. what do you mean so, like everybody else? That's not good. So, yeah, no. And so basically she was just saying, like, yeah, they're from divorce homes like everybody else, but they can be a light to all these other kids. And, and you know, I kind of took a hold of that. And I... I'm really a firm believer in, like, you don't let your kids be victims. Um, my kids know, like, I don't, I don't enjoy whining. Um, <laughs> you know, like, we don't whine at our house. We don't, there's a lot of things that don't happen at our house. Like, yes, there's... Do you need rum or whiskey or anything? Oh, different kind of wine. <laughs> different kind of wine. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, anyway, we... Um, so they know, like, I'm just kind of like, you know what, sometimes life doesn't go like we want it to, but like, you can still choose to be happy. You can still like choose to have a good life. Um, and it wasn't like, it's not like I've always been like that. Like, I, you know, at first it was tough. Um, but I just didn't want them to grow up being these victims that were like, well, you can't blame everything that happens in your life on one single event. And um, I didn't want them to do that. So, um, we just kind of like, I would find it, what I called opportunities for them to learn and to grow. And, you know, like God gave us a whole neighborhood of kids and my parents, in my parents' neighborhood, a whole neighborhood of little girls that didn't have dads in their home. And they didn't feel at peace at their home. So they would come to my mom and dad's house and spend afternoons. Like, I wasn't always there because I was working a lot. But, like, my mom would bake cookies with them. Or they'd play, like, all day in the afternoon, um, like, outside or Barbies or whatever with my girls. And it was, like, um, just how my God was using my girls to be a safe haven for these other little girls. Um, and they started like a small group, a, a girls small group. And they, they started like, my dad didn't have a big church in Northfield. So they started bringing all these kids to Sunday school and growing the Sunday school that way and stuff. And, um, it was just, it was just God's way of helping us heal and like showing them that like your life can still be good and mean something, you know, no matter what happens. Um, so that's kind of how I've dealt with it, my kids, with divorce. I want to kind of shift gears here, and I want to talk about what I assume. Uh, what we were just talking about was what you thought would be the hardest days of your life. And mm -hmm. I kind of want to talk about what actually has become the hardest days of your life. Um, as all of our listeners know now, or if you don't know by now, um, the episode we released right before this was uh, me and Brian just sat down and we had a conversation about my father uh, that I lost literally overnight. Uh, I, I still have a hard time with it. And Terry, your brother Andrew has actually helped me more than I think anybody possibly could. Uh, He's amazing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you, like, I have so many questions and... You know, I would just ask him some of the hardest questions on how I should be dealing with things. But 
I mean, I look at you. Yes, we had two different um, avenues to our parents. Well, to your parents and my father dying uh, from the same disease. Uh, or I guess it's not really a disease. It's uh, um, just a, a crazy, I, I don't know what to virus, call it. Honestly. Yeah. It's not even a virus to me. I mean, it's bigger than yeah, that, you know. It's but horrible, yeah. Anyway, you watched both of your parents deteriorate in a hospital on a ventilator and mm-hmm. you were you were able to tell them goodbye whether they heard it or not um my goodbye to my dad was the night before my dad passed away we were having a conversation like you me and Brian are having right now we were all we're all engaged we're laughing mm-hmm. we're joking we're cutting up we're having good ser- serious conversation and then the next day my mom calls and says hey your dad died you know mm-hmm. it was it's yeah. just earth shattering but mm-hmm. you on the other hand had it way harder than me um you had sometimes a glimpse of hope uh you thought that you know there might be opportunity for improvement here um you didn't know what to expect and honestly i've told so many people if my dad had to go I'm so thankful he went the way he did and we didn't have to be that decision maker. Um, Mm -hmm. If you will take the next few minutes and talk a little bit about those, those hard days that you had just recently. And uh, I may have a lot of questions for you. I don't want to Mm -hmm. uh, open any um, wounds that have may healed a little bit or they're starting to heal um, because it's still pretty fresh to me. Um, Like I'm bitter. I feel like, I feel like God, uh, if he would have genuinely loved me and knew how I felt about my dad, he wouldn't have taken him from me. You know, I've dealt with all those kind of thoughts. I've dealt mm-hmm. with anger. I've dealt with sadness. Uh, I've, I've been happy. I've been discouraged. Any emotion that you can think of, I've probably went through it. I know you have too. Uh, there's so right. many questions that uh, um, I just I just want answers to that I'll never get. But, you know, if I could bring my mom or my dad back, and if you could bring your mom and dad back, we would love Mm -hmm. that. But I have a feeling they'd be upset with us because of what they're enjoying (laughs) right now. Yes, they would be very upset. (laughs) So tell tell me and Brian and our listeners about, you know, what's, what's been going on with your family the last few months. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and I, I don't, um, I think the loss of a parent, whether it's one or two parents, is the hardest thing in the world. So I think you're probably going through just as hard of a time as me, Um, or I know you are. Um, But I, so, you know, this whole pandemic thing started, it was super weird. And um, me and my mom, we actually even had like a Facebook Live thing we were doing for a little while called Real Talk. It was actually something that we started, um, in our church, like with our ladies in a small group, like in person. And then, you know, obviously we had to all go online church. So me and my mom did it. And like, you know, we even made like some, not jokes. Like we knew, like, obviously people were struggling during this pandemic, whether it was financially or with the loss of a loved one or whatever. But I guess we didn't take it as seriously as maybe we should have I don't know same here. Um, same here 100% yeah 
Yeah, and um, I and like even saying that, I don't think we were just like out there like trying to get the virus or anything. Like, I mean, we were still safe. Like, we didn't have church all the way from March till May. Um, like most people, um, we didn't. I mean, we had online church, but you know, we didn't have in person church. Um, my dad, I would say he was basically an anti-masker, <laughs> but, uh, he wasn't going to cause trouble. So like, even he was known to wear a mask and stuff. So like, it wasn't like they were just like, we're not doing this. It was, I mean, for the most part early on, they were pretty safe. Um, now fast forward to June of this year, um, we, it was, uh, Father's Day weekend, they, after church on Father's Day morning, they left, um, for a two-week vacation to, uh, they were gonna, they stopped in Arizona at my uncle's house, um, to visit, and then they were going to California to see my brother Jonathan, who pastors out in California, um, and it was basically, they hadn't seen, um, if anybody knows, my mom and dad, they know they are grandbaby fanatics. Um, they And they have traveled the whole United States to see these grandbabies. Um, my brother Jonathan has pastored all over the United States. Um, anytime a baby was born, anytime they were missing the grandbabies, they were in the car going to see those babies. It didn't matter how far. Um, so, and then, I mean, they were in Arkansas. I Obviously, I lived with them. Um, they were going to see their grandbabies no matter what. And I remember my mom, she said, Samuel, my youngest nephew, he turned one in September. And she said, I just cannot go all the way until his first birthday without seeing him. Um, Cause she hadn't seen him since Christmas. And so they planned this trip. Um, they left the father's day right after service. Um, and they went, they stopped in Arizona, stayed there a few days. Um, unfortunately in Arizona, um, obviously like, I don't know who contracted it first or whatever. Like you never know the timelines of anything, honestly, with this virus. Um, but my uncle, he, he came down with some symptoms. So he like immediately quarantined in his bedroom and my parents like immediately left the next day. Um, that they weren't showing symptoms yet. Um, anyway, they, basically got to California and started showing symptoms. Um, they, my dad still was like, Oh no, it's not that. Um, it's like allergies, whatever. Like they weren't like really accepting that it was COVID. Um, he even like, um, preached at my brother's church while he was sick. And like, and I'm not saying like, that was like, it was probably not safe, but like, even at that point he didn't think he thought he just had congestion. Um, but anyway, they got that pretty sick at my brother's house. They were there. Um, I can't remember. I think like a week, um, they were there and every day, like, I'd be like, Hey, are you guys coming home today? And they're like, no, we're just like too sick. Um, finally they were like, we're coming home. Like we do not want to get in a hospital in California and like be out here with nobody, you know? So they traveled all the way back from California and I think it took them, they left on Saturday. They didn't get to the hospital, um, in 
Texas until Tuesday at six o'clock. Um, Tuesday, I think it was July 7th, um, six o'clock. Um, and I met them there. And, um, when I met them there, they, they pulled up and honestly, they, like, I don't even know how they had made it on the trip, to be honest. Um, they just, they really, I, I don't know how they survived the trip. That's how bad it was. Um, so I made sure they got into the hospital. It was weird, like, cause I couldn't go in with them and it was just this whole weird, horrible thing. Um, but I made sure they got in and all of that. Um, literally the next day they had my mom on a ventilator. Um, she called or she texted all of us and said, please pray. My dad texts, please pray. We need a miracle. Your mom cannot go on a ventilator. Um, literally, I think 45 minutes later, she was being put on a ventilator. Um, the, <clears throat> I, I like to call them like things that I look back on and like God kind of did to give me a piece or I, I don't know if my brothers feel this way. This is my story. Like I, they have different, we all grieve differently. Um, but for me, the one thing I was able to do, I called the hospital and I was, they were like, yeah, she's about to be put on a ventilator. And I was like frantic. Um, and I said, you cannot put her on a ventilator. And it was like, God put me on the phone with a nurse. And she said, do you have FaceTime on your phone? And I said, yes. And she said, I'm going to call you right now and let you FaceTime your mom before she goes on the ventilator. And um, so I was, they had her, they were doing some stuff with her and stuff, trying to get her to breathe. Um, but she was able to talk to me. And um, she, I, it was very emotional phone call. It wasn't long at all because she was so sick. But um, she told me, she said, um, I love you and please tell your brothers I love them. And um, then she said, please have them FaceTime uh, your dad right now. And um, so I got off the, I told her I loved her and everything. And, you know, it was just still at that point, you don't think your mom's going to die, but like, it's still like, just so like, earth shattering that she's being put on a ventilator somebody who you two weeks before had had dinner with you know and told about all the great things that's going on in your life um so anyway uh she anyway the nurse facetimed to my dad and she was able to talk to my dad um one last time before she went on the ventilator um and she was on the ventilator um for and I can't even remember my date so please forgive me um but it was a few weeks and um anyway my dad he was at first doing better uh, not better but better than her um and he made it all the way to that Saturday and in the middle of the night they he had had some um pretty bad like his oxygen had fell like really low and we really had a scare with him that night and they had to ventilate him um so anyway so within I guess five 
four days from them arriving home, they were both on ventilators. And um, it was really tough. Um, but I just, uh, like, I made sure every day I was, like, calling. Like, the ICU was, like, super sick of me. But they, um, we became good friends, I guess. There was times I had to apologize because I was pretty, like, hardcore with them. Um, but they, um, but I can say, like, it didn't obviously go the way we would have chosen for it to go. Um, but God put such good medical staff with them that, like, I have no question that they did everything at this hospital that they could do for my mom and dad. And so like, I do have a piece with that. Um, like there was nurses and it was just like, and I, like now I know it was more for like me and my brother's peace of mind than even my mom, because God knew like she was going to be with him either way. But like this, uh, like he put like nurses with her and this one nurse, Alyssa, like I'm actually connected to her on Facebook, but like, she was, like, the bridge between me and my mom, and she would, like, I would call her and talk about my girls to her and, like, about our family and all of this, and she would go in there and, like, talk to my mom, and not knowing if my mom could hear her, but she she said at one point, she went in one day and was like, hey, Val, like, I talked to Tara today, and Emma and Sadie are doing blah, 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 you know, like, she and she said when she said Emma and Sadie's name, my mom's heart rate, like, went up, like, she was excited, and, um, so just, like, stuff like that just made me know, like, my mom, like, yeah, they, it's a horrible, horrible virus or disease or whatever you want to call it, but, like, my mom and dad knew they weren't alone, um, like, I have to believe that, because, like, I made a playlist for them, that like their nurses were so good they'd be like yeah we've got their music going like in their ear like constantly just worship songs and songs of healing and victory um and um then and like there's tons of videos on Facebook you could probably watch and see the whole timeline I it's such a blur now I can't remember everything from day to day but I do know they called me um about my dad and they said um I'm trying to think I think it was the 27th July 27th that he passed I I know that's horrible it's the dates are so no, like don't, don't jumbled in my mind I, I can't but, tell you the day my dad died I have no idea I don't want to know yeah it's I mean I have obviously like the funeral announcements or whatever programs but um I think it was July 27th and they called me that morning um and it was I was always the first one to find out when my parents passed because I was, I mean, my brothers would have called ICU every day, but I was kind of the go between, between everybody. Cause if you have more than like one person calling up there, it gets like, it stresses the nurses out and it's like a whole thing. So, um, anyway, they called me, um, the doctor actually called me and it was rare to get a call from a doctor because they're so overwhelmed and busy. Um, and he, just said, like, there wasn't much more they could do, um, and, like, we didn't have to make decisions, like, of DNRs or anything like that, because God just chose to take them without us having to make those decisions, thankfully, um, 
so that was a blessing to us because I wouldn't have wanted to have to make the decision to, you know, take them off the ventilator or whatever, like the decisions that some people have had to make. Um, so thankfully we never had to make a decision, um, on either of them. Um, so my dad, um, the doctor called me, I think within a couple hours, um, he had passed and they called me and let me know that my dad had passed. Um, and then with him, it was just, a. It was more of a shock, um, like, because he was the one, he had been doing better at times than my mom. My mom really, really struggled. And so, like, he was the one, like, they thought, like, there was times, like, he would open his eyes and stuff, and, like, he was, like, responding to them and stuff in different ways. So, um, that was hard. Um, I know... I don't know which of my brothers, but they gave us all an opportunity to call him. And so the ones of us who wanted to were able to like talk to him and tell him we love him. And like, I prayed over him and just different things that we were able to do. Um, overall, it's terrible. Um, I like, I can't, it's not, you'd never want somebody to die alone, you know? And I don't, I don't like to think about it that way, but I mean, that is what is happening. Like people are dying alone and it's just, that hits me sometimes and it still just devastates me. Um, but then, um, so like with him, it was just like a shock and I don't even think I had fully processed that he was gone. And two days later, my mom, they called me. And literally, I, I think it was like 45 minutes and she was gone. Um, and that that one hit me really hard. I mean, they both hit me hard. Don't get me wrong. But like, with my dad, I had just been in shock. Like, you how, like, how do you even act losing a parent? Like, I don't I don't even know, like, what to do, you know? Oh, finally, somebody then, understands what I'm talking about. I, <laughs> my biggest frustration was people telling me, you need to grieve. You need to grieve. You need to let it out. I'm like, I don't know how to act. Please stop telling me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's weird. And like, like I said, everybody grieves differently and I grieve differently every day. There's days where I, a lot of times, like if I'm having a really bad day, I can be pretty hateful. <laughs> um, and like, um, I, I have to realize like, Hey, today's probably a day you really need to have a good cry. And usually it's like, I went, you know, several days, maybe a week, a week and a half without even shedding a tear or like hardly thinking about it. Cause I've been so busy or whatever. Um, but it'll just hit me and it's like, man, I need a good cry or like, certain holidays that are hitting you you know right now it's a terrible time to lose somebody because you're not only grieving the loss so fresh you're also celebrating all the first holidays without them and it's it's terrible like my thanksgiving was horrible and um so anyway uh they called me I mean my mom had passed and that that hit me and I I remember I called Jonathan. Um, he was the first one I called. And I was just standing over my bathroom sink, just sobbing. And I told him, like, I don't even know um, how I can live without my mom. Like, 
I don't know how I can live without my dad either, but like my mom, that's, she's my person. She's my best friend in the world. She's like, anytime I have a parenting thing or whatever, like, you know, and so I just told him, I was like, I don't, I, I don't know how to live without her. And like, he just started praying over me and, um, he was, you know, he was praying over me and speaking in tongues and it was like this peace came over me and I don't know how to describe it because, you know, I guess it really is the peace that passes all understanding because it was like, okay, I can get it together. And cause I had to get it together. Cause I didn't want to tell my girls at my house that Mimi had died too. I wanted to wait till I got to my mom and dad's house where my brother was. And so, um, it's like, I got it together and did all that. So anyway, so yeah, that's kind of like the timeline of what happened. Um, and then everything, you know, we had services and everything and it was just, honestly, there's days that are just, I, it's like, I'll be sitting there and it just catches my breath. Like, oh my goodness, they're both gone. Or I'll think of, um, something you know that my girls I my girls are super hilarious and so I'll, I'll think of like something they've said that like my dad would get a kick out of like Kim and Sadie were like tight you know and I'll call or I, I I've never picked up the phone to call but it's like I've thought oh I need to call my dad and tell him that or my mom and it's like it just hits you and I think I listened to your podcast your podcast right before this Tony and I think you said the same thing like you just like want to call your dad and um I just I don't know it's just really a surreal feeling a lot of times um that they're not here I call my dad still to this day just thinking he's gonna pick up even though Mm -hmm. I know he won't and you know I want to delete his text messages I want to delete his number I want to do all that but then it's like the last little piece of him that I have, you know, mm-hmm. because I know. Oh, I still write on my mom's Facebook wall like every week. Like, well, I don't do that because I don't do that because my mom will <laughs> like it on my dad's Facebook name. Yeah, and that's, that's real weird to me. <laughs> I'm like, mom, yeah, stop getting on dad's Facebook. <laughs> like, yeah, that is odd, but <laughs> yeah, my mom will be liking my dad's like funeral arrangements and stuff. I was like, don't do that. <laughs> but I mean, I was. For me, it was just, I mean, I don't, I, I've, I've broke down really hard twice. I broke down, mm-hmm. whenever I was told, I broke down for like 30 seconds, like really hard, really bad. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, this, this isn't, I'm going to give this some time. I don't think this, this could be real. And, you know, I'm just kind of mm-hmm. like, because I, I, I kept thinking to myself, mom's a drama queen. She's probably, he's probably just at the hospital and, you know, the whole nine yards. I'm going to just wait until, give this a little bit of time to breathe, you know. And mm-hmm. then uh, I talked to my sister and, like, it didn't settle into me, but I didn't start crying or anything. I was just like, I don't know. I was just in this place that, of of shock and hurt and everybody mm-hmm. kept calling me and I didn't yeah. know how to act. And then, you know, a couple of nights later at 1130, um, I had your bathroom sink moment. Uh, 
I woke up. I wasn't asleep. I, I, w- I woke. I got up out of the bed because I didn't want to wake anybody up, and just uncontrollably taking my breath away, sobbing, kind of uh, hurt, bitterness, kind of thing. And then you know that lasted for a couple hours, and then I was fine. I was done I, for what I thought. And then whenever mm-hmm. I walked into my dad's church and saw him laying in his casket. Um, yeah. was the single hardest thing I've ever had to do. And when my little girl's touching his cheek saying, wake up, wake up, Papa, mm-hmm. wake up. And, yeah. you know, that was by far the hardest thing I've ever encountered in my life. And mm-hmm. um, saying goodbye to my dad to the last time. And, you know, people still telling me, let it out, let it, you know, let let it go. You know, you just need to, um, to grieve. And, you know, I... Unlike you, I, I don't ever have a time where I'm just going to sit down and say, I'm going to have a good cry. I don't do that because, mm-hmm. number one, my daughter won't let me. She'll go tell on me. She'll say she'll go to my <laughs> wife and say, Daddy's crying. And, you know, I, you know, and yeah. my daughter is probably a lot like your daughter's. They are what got you through this. Um, right. Because for me, I was very angry. I still have some resentment in my heart. Uh, I was at our church last Sunday. We had in-person service, and my heart wasn't there. My mind wasn't there. Um, all I was thinking about was my dad's church because it was their first service back. And you know mm-hmm. that's that's where my heart and mind's at. But yeah. I mean, if 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 I could speak to anybody who may have lost a parent or a child or a spouse. Anything like that, um, one of the hardest things on yourself you could do is blame God for it. Uh, I did that for a long time, and God has given me dreams. I've opened up books and read something that just hit me right in the face, you know. And I had a very vivid dream about my dad, and you know, he told me what I need to do better if I want to make it to heaven, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I'm like thinking to myself, I don't want to constantly dream about my father. I don't want to do that because I want to let this go at some point. But I, it's just little nudges from God saying, hey, he's still looking after you. Yeah. I mean, it's, however, I mean, it's it's just so hard, you know. Um, yeah. But before we wrap up this conversation, if you could say anything to single moms, which is like a huge thing in our society today. I know we've taken a long road, but we're coming back to it. If you could say <laughs> anything to those single moms that's out there struggling right now, what would you say? Um, I would say that you can do it. Um, I would say, and that sounds like so whatever, you can do it. But <laughs> I would say you can raise kids that are good kids that love God and you can press through and you can raise a great family. It may not be the family that you imagined. It might just be you and your kids. And sometimes you have to accept that um, and create a whole new version of what a family means to you. Um, And that's, that's something my mom told me probably about a year after I moved in with her, um, was, 
you know, my mom and dad, they, they kept my girls all the time while I was working or whatever. And work really became an escape for me. And sometimes it was an unhealthy escape for me because I, um, worked all the time. Um, but she told me, she said, Tara, she said, I know it's not the family you dreamed of and it's totally different than whatever you thought you were going to be at 19 years old. But she said, you have two little girls who are depending on you. And do you want them to remember a mom who was just always working, always, yes, I was providing for them. I was doing what I needed to do to make sure they had everything they could have. But she said, do you want them to remember that? Or do you want them to remember a happy mom, a healthy mom who made life wonderful for them, who appreciated the family that she had been given. And that really woke me up because at that point, I didn't appreciate the family I had been given. I was pretty mad. I was bitter. Like, you know, I I know you said you're kind of bitter right now. And that's how I felt five years ago. I'm like, you know, this has all been stripped from me. Um, But I would tell any single mom who feels like this is the end that you can do this you like I believe in you God believes in you and you can raise really great kids and there's God has a plan that you never dreamed um you know like if you would have told me five years ago (laughs) that I would be remarried and living in Arkadelphia and going to this amazing church and raising four awesome kids like I would have laughed in your face Like, that is not, like, if you would have told me that six months ago, I would have laughed in your face. Um, That that was not my plan for my life. Um, But God's plans are so much greater. And I would just tell every single parent out there, not just moms, there's really great single dads, too. And you can do it. You can raise great kids and you can create the family that you want. As you just hinted at about how your story kind of changed while everyone's focusing on your Facebook because of the tragedy you just yet uh, encountered um, all of a sudden a familiar face to me pops up on your Facebook um, how, how does this happen <laughs> well it's it's an amazing story in itself and it's just like you guys when I tell you like God like the way he's orchestrated the path of my life, like I just, I sit back in awe. Like, I don't know, like, I, I'm going to say this real quick before I get to that. Like, I think everything I went through fi- over the past five years, I think God, I was listening to a podcast with Lisa Turkers, who is one of my favorite authors, and she, and I know we're trying to wrap this up, I'm sorry. Um, No, you're fine. but But she said, when you know that you're ready to help somebody else with their healing, is when you can look at all of your experiences and the experiential part of your healing, and you can take from those Instead of just saying like, well, this is what hurt me or this is and focusing on what hurt you or why you were bitter. But when you can take 
all of your experiences from what you've done and help others. That's when you know you're ready to tell your story or to help other people in healing. So when I look at like everything that's happened, like just, you know, over the past five years, like I said, I, I lived with my mom and dad for five years. Like who gets that gift? And then like, it was their last five years. Like that doesn't, that's not something that just happens. That's God. And, um, so back to my new husband in life. Um, so in saying all of that in our stories, we kind of, there's, I mean, different paths to divorce, like whatever, like I'm not getting into all of that, but we kind of came out of similar but not similar circumstances in our divorces um he I'm raising two kids um on my own he's raising his two children on his own um honestly like I didn't know Eric that well I knew of Eric um I knew his sister Emily we actually went to college together way back in the day um yeah you guys go to church with but like I just knew who he was and he's like six years older than me so like that wasn't even on my radar. Like actually like dating was not on my radar. So anyway, um, I, it's so funny. I was sitting in my new living room in June of this year, like early June. It was before my mom and dad went on their trip. Anything. I had just moved into my new house and it was the day I moved in and I was just sitting on my couch and I, just looked around and it was like this feeling of peace and contentment that I just like, I knew I had been building toward, but it was like, I'm here. Like I am so content. Like, and I just started like thanking God for everything he had done for me and my girls. Um, you know, he had given me an awesome job. He had given us a beautiful home, like just all of these blessings that like I don't deserve. And I was just thanking him and, and I literally told God, like, and like a couple years before I probably, or maybe even a year before I probably wouldn't have even said it. Cause I was like really thinking like, yeah, I think I would like to date again, like whatever. And then, but I just like told God, like, I don't, if I'm single the rest of my life, like I'm happy, like I am content. Like that's where I was at. And I was being for real. Like I was just like, God has just been really good to me and my girls. And all of a sudden I look down and I get a text from my brother, Andrew. And he texts and says, so-and-so wants you to uh, meet Eric Whittingham. And um, it was a mutual friend. Who was so-and-so? <laughs> I'm going to leave names out unless they're family. Um, but it was a mutual friend. You guys would know him too. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I gotta know. Um, so I can tell you after after we're done recording. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so I just text back and I just kind of laughed and I was like, even then I was just like, okay, like whatever. And I texted him back and I was like, I was like, I mean, I'm not against meeting somebody, but like, I, so he he's welcome to connect to me on social media or whatever. So that was that. And I honestly didn't think another thing about it. Two days later, his sister texts me and says, Hey, would it be weird? I know this is weird. If it is like, just tell me no, like whatever. Um, if I play matchmaker between you and my brother. And 
So I texted her and I was like, I was like, no, that's fine. Ha-ha. Even like then thinking like, okay, whatever, this is stupid. But um, I, I was just like, yeah, he's welcome to connect to me or whatever. Well, literally like an hour later, he connected to me, started messaging me and we have, he started calling me the next day. We've talked every day since then, fell in love. Um, and we got married two Mondays ago. So that's Monday. That's an that's how it works. Yeah. We, (laughs) I didn't want, like, I, I wanted a private wedding, even though we put it on Facebook live. Um, I just, I couldn't imagine planning a wedding without my mom and like honestly like a second wedding I was like do I really even want to do that like and it was just kind of a relief to not do that and so we just I was just like let's get married on a Monday and so we You're did you supposed to have a really second fun. wedding just for the gifts <laughs> alright one, qu- one last serious question and we'll let you go when's the next time you're going to be in Jonesboro Oh, goodness. We're going to be there, actually. Uh, let me look at my calendar. It's the week of Christmas. We're coming on, yeah, December 22nd. We'll be there the 22nd through the 24th. Awesome. Uh, if you can, we'd like to meet up with you, and I'll get you a chicken sandwich. Oh, you're going to get me a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. That's so nice of you. Thank you. No, he meant it's one of Oh, man. Tara, thank you so much. Goodness. This has been a great podcast. I have zero doubt in my mind that, you know, this got to connect with so many people. Um, I know it's been kind of difficult to talk about a couple of these things, but thank you for being willing to do that. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you guys so much. And, um, you guys are doing an awesome job on this podcast. I know it's reaching a lot of people and um, I know podcasts have really ministered to me in my last five years of trial and all, everything I've been through. So I know that you guys are helping a lot of people. So keep it up. Well, thank you so much. Brian. Gattie my pleasure. What's that? What was it? What was that? I said my pleasure. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. That's awesome. The hardest question you'll ever ask is why. Three letters, one word. Why? And it's hard to know sometimes why. And, you know, it's okay not to always know why. It's okay to say Sometimes I just need a little bit of time to figure out the answer to that question. Because time will answer all questions, whether it's in this life or in the next, it will answer the question of why. It's okay not to know. Sometimes you just got to give it a little bit of time. This has been a virtual conversation.
Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. 